The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning, church family. Oh, you are so much more awake than the 9 a.m. service. I will tell them next week. Love it. Either that or you're just a lot warmer, so you're ready, uh, you're ready to go. So, hey, thank you. Um, thanks for your patience with us as we, we went online last week. We knew, um, well, I personally feel betrayed and lied to because I was told it never rains in California, and we moved our family here, and I'm like... I'm like, what's going on? It was a lot of rain last weekend, but no, thank you. Um, we just knew with the amount of rain and the wind coming in, we weren't sure when it would hit, so we went online only. The good news is when we showed up on Monday, everything was still here on the property, so that's the good news. The, the bad news is actually not from the wind, but actually from collecting rainwater. Our back tent had um, some damage on some of the poles, so that's why if you're, some of you are very uncomfortable. You're like, I have not sat this close to the front in years, and I want to sit back further. Why did they take away my safe zone? This is not like... The, to punish the back row people. Um, it's just because uh, of the damage. So we'll be replacing that this week. We have some new poles that should be arriving. So just in case you were like, what's up with the caution tape back there? I do want to let you know too that we've had several people ask as it is getting colder, especially um, for our earlier service, as well as just the, the rain that, that sometimes will come, um, that, that we are still working through as a team. We're going to be, be meeting and praying this week about Inside, outside, all that, all that stuff. Um, just want to let remind you that our goal as a as a team and as a leadership here is to to do what's best that we feel like God's leading us to do to reach people for Jesus, right? To connect people in a relationship with Jesus. It's not we don't mean it's not what do I want to do, what do you want to do, what does this person want, but hey, collectively, what where do we feel God is leading us? And so we would ask it that if you would just continue to pray for us. Um, none of us went into ministry to like try and figure out to do church on the path or inside or masks or no mask, right? Like all this stuff is new. Um, so thank you for your grace and your, your patience and we'll, we'll make sure to keep you updated as a congregation with any, any changes that may be coming in the future. Let me pray for us before we dive into our passage this morning. God, we do, we do thank you for the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the change that you have brought about in our hearts and in our lives. God, we ask that you would now be present here with us as we know you are, but that you, you would open our eyes as we turn to scripture this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who you are as a person, who you are impacts how you live. Right, your identity, who, who you identify as, what you see as core to who you are impacts how you live your life. I was reminded of, of how much our identity plays out and, and how we live our lives. When new things come in and change kind of core of who we are, we see this happen real quick. My, my neighbor, who I was talking to yesterday afternoon, they have a, I think a six or, six or seven week old in the house. And we were just talking about how radically his life has changed now that he is a parent. Right, Who you are fundamentally changes the moment you become a parent. He was just talking to me. He was also apologizing. He's like, I don't know if we've woken you up. I'm like, dude, I sleep great in that. I'm sorry that you're up. Like, I'm sleeping great. But, but who you are right, changes how you live your life. And this should be true for those of us who are Christians as well. 
who we are in Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, and the new identity that we find in him, who we are in Jesus should change how we live our lives. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to open them. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We've been working through this fall, the book of Ephesians. And we're in Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, it's also in the handout that you hopefully received when you arrived this morning. And there's a a transition that happens here in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, have been primarily focused on who we are in Jesus. Right, this is what God has done for you. This is who you now are because of what Jesus has done. And then in chapter four, it starts with the word I, therefore. He starts to say, with everything that came before, with all this teaching on who you are in Jesus, now this is what it's supposed to look like lived out in your life. Right? So he takes everything that's come before and says, okay, now this, we're going to start to put this into practice. This is what it starts to look like. It's something that that scholars say that that the imperative, right, the commands follow the indicative, right? So this is who you are. Now, if we've understood this, this is how we are to live our lives. And so he starts in chapter four, verse one, he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verses one and two, especially verse one in the phrase there, are an intro summary, not only to our passage today, but really to the rest of the book of Ephesians, right? He said, this is who you are in Jesus. In these first three chapters, verse four, now walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Right? This is who you are. Now, this is what it looks like to live like it. Right? We don't just live a certain way that makes us who we are, but because of what God has done for us in Jesus, it changes how we've lived. You've been called to something amazing. That was Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Now, how does that start to look like practically in our lives? He's going to flesh that out over the next several chapters. So he says, this is the big idea. We walk worthy of this calling. And then he gives us some descriptors that flow throughout that should be true of each and every one of these areas that we will begin to look at over the upcoming weeks. Verse two, he says, with all humility and gentleness or meekness is another translation of the word. With with patience, bearing with one another, forbearance, but doing it in love. That these should be seen through our lives. And today we're going to look at this, this idea of walking worthy of the calling. We're going to look at three ways that we can walk worthy. Three ways that as followers of Jesus, we can walk worthy of this calling of what Jesus has done in our lives. Verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The first way we walk worthy is to display true unity. That we display true unity of what Jesus has done for us. 
Now, lest we think that, that what the passage here is saying is to disregard our theology, disregard our beliefs for the sake of unity, he makes sure to highlight these are the doctrines, these are the things that unite us as followers of Jesus. Paul would never say, just set aside your beliefs for the sake of unity for others. No, but look at all those statements. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize that there's one word that occurs seven times in verses four, five, and six, right? And it's the word one. This unity that we have around people who belong to and believe in this main set of doctrines. There is one body, that is the church, right? The church worldwide is God's people, the body of Christ. There is one spirit. Each of us upon faith in Jesus have received the Holy Spirit and each of us receive the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to this one hope, the one hope that each and every Christian has, the ultimate hope in heaven of being with our Savior. We are saved by the same one Lord. We all have one faith. The outward sign of faith is the one baptism that, that we all have had. He's not here trying to argue modes of baptism, so we can't be here like, ah, oh, see, Presbyterians, they don't belong to us. Jesus, no, no, no. Jesus loves Presbyterians, sure. He's not talking about ages and when you baptize, but he's saying this outward sign of the inner reality of faith of what has, God has done for us. And ultimately, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so we have this unity, right? This set of beliefs, and, and there are people who believe these things. They were part of the body and believe in our one Lord and have faith, who come from drastically different backgrounds than we do, whose lives look very different than ours, who just have different characteristics about them. And that's why in verse three, he, he phrases it that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, it's important that we understand, because sometimes we can gloss over the obvious words, but it, it causes a misunderstanding. I think that, that so often happens in this passage. I think sometimes true even in how I think about things as well. Notice that he says not to be eager to make unity amongst Christians. Not that you have to manufacture unity amongst one another. Notice he says, be eager to what? Maintain the unity that already exists to put on public display for the world what Jesus has already done for us. He's not saying, well, hey, you know, it'd look really good if you all just tried to get along and act united. So just really try and do that. No, what he's saying is through the Holy Spirit, you are united. Now we need to look like that to the world. We need to maintain this. Our responsibility is to make sure we are putting this unity on display to the world. Now, I was struck this, this last week or two weeks ago, um, several of our team were at a conference and I heard a pastor speak and I've read a book of his um, that he wrote about this as well. His name's Larry Osborne. And in his book, Accidental Pharisees, when talking about unity, what he, I was reminded of the statement that he made. He says, sometimes it's hard to practice unity in the church because we mistake unity for uniformity. And we say we want unity, but what we really want and what we'll say, like not up front, but like what we, we personally really want is we want uniformity, meaning this, we should all be united and all of you should look the same, act the same, believe exactly the same of everything. You should prefer the same thing that I prefer. All of us should be united and it should be exactly like me. I want it uniform. 
And so often we think unity means just everyone thinks, acts, and looks just like how we do. And then we'll all get along great. And that's what God's called the church to, right? Look at verse two again. This, these, these are the relationships within the body of Christ. These should be our attributes, the characteristics, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love. People who you look alike, act alike, have so much in common with, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take a lot of patience to get along with someone who believes everything exactly the same as I do. It doesn't take a lot of forbearance for someone who has exactly the same opinions on everything as I do. But when we come into contact, when we realize that in the body of Christ, that there are disagreements, that we see things differently, suddenly then we have to to realize that this is where it has to be put into practice. That we truly have to be gentle and love one another through our differences and our disagreements. See, one way that that I like to think about it and, and how this is helpful for me at least is the church should be seen as the family of Jesus, right? This is a church family. And it's different. Your family are different than your friends. See, your friends, most of us, if you think back, maybe now, but certainly earlier in life, if you think back to like high school or college, most of the people who were your good friends, they were your friends because you had a high level of commonality with them, right? You shared same interests, same hobbies, same experiences, and that's why you were so close. And if you had different experiences, no problem. You just found different friends, right? But it's different when it comes to family, Because there's some family that you have a lot in common with, and there's some family who you look at them and you're like, how are you a part of our family? (laughs) Right? We all have that one crazy relative, that crazy uncle, that cousin. And if you don't have them, that means it's you. So you better find them. Right, find that crazy right. We we all have it, right? And sometimes you know the holidays are coming up and we sit around and like, wow. We are different around here, but you don't just be like, oh, we're not like each other. You're not part of the family. No, you got to put up with them. You got to learn to love them. You got to be patient with them. And it's the same is true here in the family of God. That it's not just our friends that gather together here at this church on Sunday, but we will find people here, yes, who believe and look and act and come from very different backgrounds. And it's not up to us to try and make them look like me, but that together as we're united, that we both start to look more like Jesus. See, Larry Osborne writes in this book, Accidental Ferris, he says this, when it comes to our unity in Christ, we constantly have choices to make. How will we respond to our brothers and sisters in Christ? We wouldn't have chosen if we had been given the choice. Do we respond in light of our spiritual unity or in light of our earthly differences? So easy, we live out of the differences that we have with people rather than living into the spiritual unity that we have in Jesus to maintain and display that unity. See, the reality is it's not very impressive to demonstrate love to people who are a lot like us. It doesn't take a lot of work to love someone who's just like me. But when we realize that Jesus calls us to unity, not uniformity. And this love, this patience, this humility begins to be put on display. That's when it starts to look different. That's when the church can begin to look different than the world. When we don't just try and make one another like me, but together we grow and we try and make one another like Jesus. Verse seven says this, but grace was given 
to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave, he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. The second way we walk worthy is that each one of us learns to exercise our gifting. Each of us exercise our gifting as God has gifted us. See in verse seven, it says that the grace, this is the gift of God, the spiritual gifts that God has given us was given to not just one people or two people or certain ones, but to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Right? And the Bible talks about this multiple times, that God has gifted you the way you are because that's how he wanted it to be. You don't get to choose, but Jesus gets to assign. In his knowledge, he gives to us gifts. And then to demonstrate this, Paul quotes from an Old Testament text. He quotes here from Psalm 68, verse 18, talking about someone ascending on high and giving gifts to those behind. So he's saying that Jesus descended here to the earth and now that he has ascended back to heaven to the Father, he has given gifts to us behind him. And he begins to talk about some, although certainly not an exhaustive list of what these spiritual gifts are. Verse 11 says he gave apostles and prophets Apostles were those who had seen the risen Lord Jesus. Prophets were those who, thought this, who taught this authoritative teaching of what Jesus has done for us. We've seen these two put together multiple times in Ephesians already. Then there were those who were given the gift of being evangelists, those who would go out and share what Jesus has done with others, evangelism. And then there's a gift of people who are gifted to be shepherds and teachers. Shepherds is the same word, maybe your translation has it, to be pastors, to be pastors and teachers. And notice what their gifting is for. All of these people, their gifting in verse 12 is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Not for them to do all of the work themselves, but to equip the saints. Now the saints here are not like you have your regular church going Christians and then you got the saints over here. No, saints literally means holy ones. Those who have been set apart by Jesus. If you've been made righteous by Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are a saint. And the job here then is to equip everyone for the work of the ministry so that as everyone practices our gifts together, the body of Christ is built now, we live in a very heavy entertainment culture, right? We love, there's lots of money spent, big money, to, if you can figure out what entertains people. And we enjoy entertainment. And entertainment is, in and of itself is not always bad. And when I was thinking of a time in my life where I was just thoroughly entertained, I thought back to um, several years ago when my wife and I were living in Chicago. And there was this Broadway show that was playing in Chicago and I kept hearing this buzz about it. And my wife worked downtown Chicago. She worked two blocks away from it. So she would walk past the theater all the time. And the show was a little known show called Hamilton, right? And finally I felt so uncool because I hadn't seen it. It wasn't that I was like musically interested. I'm just like, I feel left out. 
I feel very left out here. And so we eventually bought tickets and we went to go see the show Hamilton. And Chris and I had done zero research on it. We had never listened to the soundtrack. And so we went and we went to see Hamilton. And I remember like at the intermission, we both like just looked at each other and went, wow. And then we went and watched the rest of it. And on the way home, we found the Spotify playlist and we started playing Hamilton. And that was all we played in our house because we were so entertained. And then we went and we went back again because we wanted to see it again. And we, this time we sang along to the songs, right? Because we had, all we had been listening to for months is the Hamilton soundtrack, right? So you know everything, you start singing along to it. And, and we, we were so entertained and it was just like, oh, just show up. I, I want it because it's so good. But there would be no expectation for me to show up to something like that and for someone to ask me, to usher, to go clean the bathroom, to pick up the trash. Why? Because it's all about me and my experience. And if I don't like it, what do I do? I take my money somewhere else. I just go and find something that entertains me more. And too often we bring this attitude towards the church. We show up on a Sunday and we're like, I hope they sing the songs I like this week. Caleb does good, so it always sounds good, but I hope he sings the one I want. The one last week, I was okay. I didn't really like that song that much, right? I hope the pastor is good. You better not go long, that's for sure. I hope he's like funny and it's applicable, but not convicting. Because I don't want conviction, but I want something, some little nugget that I can, right? But it, and it better fit how I want. And so then I can take it and use it however I want. And if it's not, I'll just go find someplace else. There's another church down the block. Maybe, maybe they'll have what I want. See, we can take this attitude and start to think that the church just exists to serve us and to serve our preferences. See, the church does not exist just to serve you, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you exist to serve the church. The church does not exist just to serve your needs and your preferences, but if you are a Christian, you exist to serve the church. Every single one of us have been gifted by God, every single one. So are you using your gifts to serve others? Are you using your gifts to serve others? Because here's this awesome secret, all right? And you, you hear it if you've been a part of our church for even a few months, you've heard it. We're, we're talking about opportunities to serve, right? In kids, in greeting, at Trunk or Two, we're, we're always talking about ways to try and help you use your spiritual gifts. And sometimes it can seem like, oh, they just really need help, which sometimes we do. We do really need help. But here's this secret, all right? When you serve, when you use the gifts that God has given you, not only are other people blessed by it, you are as well. That's the secret. When you use your gifting, not only are other people blessed and encouraged and strengthened, but you leave blessed, encouraged, and strengthened as well because you got to use your gifts to help together build the body of Christ. See, it's only as each and every one of us together are using what God has given us, together doing the work of the ministry, that we build one another up. See, this is a different mindset from how we often can think about church, right? You may think, well, to do the work of the ministry, well, that's why this church has 15 people on staff. It's your job to do the work of the ministry. It's my job to come on Sundays, to help give a little, to pay you so you can do God's work so that I can go to what I do and do my own thing. You do the ministry, I do my thing. Now, our job is to help you carry out the ministry God has given you because get this, if you are a Christian, you are in ministry. 
If you are a Christian, you are in ministry. It might not be at a church. It might not be at a Christian organization. But if you're a Christian, you are in ministry. God has placed you for a purpose and with a calling wherever it is. And what your colleagues need, what your family needs, what your neighbors need is not me or another pastor to show up and preach the gospel. What they need is for you to show up and to live out the gospel and to use your gifts there. Because each and every one of us has been given the work of ministry. It's not a select few who are up on a stage. It's all of us. And as each and every one of us begin to grow and to use our gifts together, that's when the church is built up and we grow to be more like Christ. See, this, this goal of all that, that Paul has in mind here, he'll get to here in verses 13 to 16. Well, what, what is this goal that we're moving towards? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the third way that we walk worthy is that each and every one of us strives towards maturity. We strive toward maturity in Jesus. That's the goal, verse 13, until we all reach mature manhood. That's not like men or female. What he's saying is like this, picture this perfectly healthy, full-grown adult, a mature adult. That's the goal, maturity, that we would be filled with the fullness of Christ. He talks about, again, the body metaphor there in verses 15 and 16, that together we grow together as the body of Christ, that we would look more like Jesus. And to help us see what maturity is and, and isn't, he starts by talking about this is what maturity isn't, right? So he says the goal is mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer, right? So this is a sign of immaturity, that we may no longer be like children, Right? Get this, the goal is like an adult. He said, some of you all are like kids. You're like infants. That's the literal word. Not just children, like young, you're like infants, right? Infants who are tossed back and forth by the waves of doctrine, human cunning, and craftiness and deceitful schemes. <clears throat> Excuse me. See, what it doesn't look like, maturity does not look like being swayed and pulled back and forth by hearing a voice out there by someone saying, well, this is what will make you happy. This is where you should follow. This is what you should believe in. And an immature person goes, oh, okay, I'll try this. And then three months later, okay, I'll try this. And two weeks later, and they're pulled back and forth. And the challenge is there are always voices on either side calling out to us to pull us one way or the other. Remember when I was in college, one of my, one of my college jobs is I was an intramural referee. An intramural referee. Now, I was at a school that was 
basically it was a Bible college or everyone there was training to go into ministry. So for almost every single one of us there, this was like the heights of our athletic achievements, right? It was our college intramural sports, right? And I remember one of the biggest seasons for, for both, but especially for the guys was in the fall, we would play flag football, right? Like nothing says tough, like running out on a field and pulling a flag off of another man, right? But we felt strong. We felt tough. And I was a ref, and it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I actually refed in high school as well for elementary sports. So I really enjoyed my job. And there was a game, I still remember, it was near the end of a season. It was a really competitive game. And it was right down near the end zone. The guy took the ball. He was about to run towards the end zone, almost in. And then his flag, his belt, sorry, his belt, the flag's on, literally fell off. And he runs kind of through a group of people into the end zone and all Malum breaks loose, right? People are like, what's going on? It's just mayhem, right? Because the, the refs all come together because he's like, I scored a touchdown. They didn't pull my flag. And the other team's like, your flag's on the grounds, right? It's kind of hard to pull your flag. And there we are. There's like four of us refs and there's these two teams. And because they're 20-year-old guys training to go into ministry, they're very cordial and friendly. <laughs> and they're like, whatever the Lord would lead you. No, right? Like they're screaming, Right? These voices are loud. They're strong. My side, no this side, no this side. I have this really weird memory. I'm like a visual memory person where, where if I like read something, I'll remember it. You know, I don't know where my car keys are every morning, but like I can tell you something I read in a book 20 years ago. It's weird. And I happen to, in that moment, somehow remember reading in the rule book how if your flag, if your belt fell off, then where you were touched, that's where you got stopped, right? And so there's all these voices, and I kind of stepped right up between them and said, no, this is what the rule book says. This is what we're going with. And our responsibility as Christians and the voices of this world that shout strong, and hard at us is to walk into it and say, no, this is what God's word says, and I'm going with it. The voices may be strong. It may be persuasive. It may even sound good, but we say, no, this, this is what God's word says. I'm not going to be tossed over. I'm going to be pulled away by this. I know what the Bible says, and I'm going with this. See, being grounded in God's truth is foundational for maturity. Because there are voices pressuring us. And here's the thing, we all know the voices will change. There'll be different pressures in 5, 10, 15 years from now, but we know they will be there. And so we need to be grounded in God's word, not being tossed about like kids, not being able to figure it out. See, maturity is not just an intellectual knowledge of scripture, but we cannot be mature without a deep and growing knowledge of God and his word. We cannot be mature if we do not have our foundation in God's word, if we're just tossed back and forth. So rather, maturity is not this being tossed back and forth. And then verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Don't you sometimes wish that just you could take like two words out of a verse, right? Can we just take out the in love part and just be like, I don't know, maturity is speaking the truth. But Paul said in there, doing it in love towards one another. See, what he's saying here is maturity is not just having this intellectual foundation in scripture. It is that. But then it's being able to live that out, God's truth conveyed in your life through love towards other people. See, Paul wrote another place in scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, if I have prophetic powers 
and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. He said, if I give away everything I have, and if I give my body up to be burned, but I have not love, it gains me nothing. And too often we love to speak the truth and we forget and don't live out the in love part. See, Jesus is the perfect model of speaking and living out truth and love. Jesus wasn't just sometimes truth and sometimes love. He was both fully all the time, right? Jesus was all truth and all love all the time. He's the perfect model to do this. And perhaps we never look more like Jesus than when we live the truth in love towards others. So are you someone who lives out the truth, who speaks the truth in love to others. Because I know for me, I fall short here all the time. I fall short here in my life all the time. I was reminded this week, as I was thinking of this, of a, of a story. This was a few years ago. I got a, I think it was a phone call or a letter in the mail. I don't remember which, but it was from our insurance agency. We, we owned our home at the time. And it was a thing notifying me that our home insurance had expired like a month ago. I'm like, well, that would have been nice to know a month ago, right? And as you know, when you're dealing with insurance, it's just one quick phone call and they get it fixed just like, no, right? But you, if you own your home, you can't just be like, oh, home insurance, that's an optional thing. I'll figure that out later. No, right? You're like everything stops. Okay, what the world is going on, right? And you call and they don't know, so they transfer you to this person and they transfer you to, right? And you're like playing this game of like tag on the phone and you're talking. And of course, as a pastor, I have perfect patience and no, I don't, Right? I'm like, I have the Lord's work to do, and this is getting in the way of it. <laughs> I finally was getting on the phone. We finally had it figured out as I was voicing very strongly my opinions, how they had messed up, the mistakes they had made, how wrong this was, all of this, right? I was letting them know the truth. You made a mistake. And then right near the end, she said, all right, just to confirm your email, and she said, it's Michael Bloodever at blank blank church.org. And I was like, oh, man. Because <laughs> I was a jerk to her. I had the truth, but I was a jerk with it. See, if we're Christians and we speak God's truth, but we don't do it in love, it doesn't make that much of a difference in our worlds. We just look like jerks because sometimes that's what we are. That's how we're living. See, I know in my life, the amount of times it's been told me, Michael, it's not what you said. It's how you said it, right? It's not the truth that was wrong, but it's how you said it. It wasn't loving how it came across. Maturity is being able to speak the truth in love. Does this characterize your marriage? Are you able to speak the truth in love? To one another, because that's a sign of maturity in your relationship, a sign of maturity for yourself and for your spouse. Is this true in your parenting with your kids, that you're speaking the truth to them, but in love as you seek to raise them and help them grow? Is this how you treat those people who you disagree with, who just don't get it? They're so blind. If they only saw the truth as clearly as you do, and you just want to make sure they know are we speaking the truth in love to those who we disagree with? 
Because it says, we speak the truth and do it in love. That Christ works through us. That it's a sign that we are growing into this maturity that God has for us. Speaking the truth in love is a sign that we're walking worthy of the calling to which God has for us. God, as we think of what your word calls us to, I know for myself, I realize how quick and how often I fall short. God, and we need your help. We need your help to speak the truth in love. We need you to help us to be ministers wherever we find ourselves, in our work, at home, in our neighborhoods. God, we can't do this on our own. So we ask that as we go from this place, God, that we would continue to represent you, that you would work through our lives, that we would learn to daily depend upon you, and that this city and this valley would look more like Jesus because you are living and working through our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.